I invite you to open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9 as we continue our series here through these titles of Jesus. Isaiah chapter 9, I'll be reading just uh, just verses 6 and 7, and then Isaiah 40, verse 9 through 11, and uh, keep your Bibles open there at Isaiah 40 when we finish that. Isaiah 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And now turn over to chapter 40, verses 9 through 11. Verse 9. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. The word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing upon his preached word. Father, we thank you again this morning for worship. We thank you for uh, you allowing us into your presence, but not just allowing, you inviting and welcoming us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are our king We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you open our eyes to see truth and truth from your word. So we ask that you would be pleased to do that yet again this morning. Help us to see more of the good news of Jesus Christ and how our lives are different as a result. We pray that you will do this now in Christ's most holy name. Amen. On January the 2nd, earlier this year, a football player... Uh, with the Buffalo Bills, went into cardiac arrest in the first quarter of the game against our Bengals. DeMar Hamlin made a tackle against the Bengals, uh, which seemed ordinary at the time, but his body did not react the way we thought it would, and he went into cardiac arrest with millions of people watching and even some of you there at the game. Hamlin, by God's grace, has made a full recovery, and now... That story is less about him and that horrendous night, and it's more now about the medical team in Cincinnati which responded to Hamlin. In a word, the medical team in Cincinnati was amazing. That night, the emergency action plan was implemented pretty much to perfection. Within 10 seconds of that injury, there were trainers treating him on the field. Within five minutes, an ambulance was on the field with trained EMT workers. Most importantly, he was given CPR by trained men and women and then taken to the hospital again by professionals. He was given oxygen also before arriving at the hospital, which proved to be critical. 
Upon arriving at the hospital, he was immediately placed in ICU where he received expert care. And as we all know, his life was spared. When the Bills were back in Cincinnati earlier this fall, much was made about his return and just how good it was to see him. But more so than about him was about the medical team and all the recognition they received. I heard one report simply said this. They did their job correctly. They did it right. That is, the timing, the training, the skill, the equipment, they crushed it. They got it right. They performed their roles the way they were supposed to be performed. They were experts. They knew how to handle a crisis. They didn't guess in what to do. They were trained and they were qualified. Now, Don't we all love that story? I think we're all familiar with it. We all celebrated Hamlin's life being spared. We all celebrated the fact that these emergency workers and uh, doctors knew exactly what they were doing. Even Bengal fans who were disappointed the game was postponed, even they celebrate this event. And it raises another question, I think, for us this morning, which is this. How often do we hear of anyone who does everything exactly right? Do we ever hear of that? Any person, any organization, any church, any parent that gets it just right? Perfect skill, perfect timing, perfect equipment. Does anyone ever do that? And of course, the answer answer is essentially no one does. So now, let me make this sermon even more awkward. How many of your earthly fathers did everything exactly right every single time? Now, Don't respond to that, because the answer is none of them, of course. Asking about one's relationship with their dad can be a scary thing and bring up all kind of emotions. Some of us have had great dads. Some of us have had difficult dads. Some of us had non-existent dads. Some of us had dads who passed away far too soon. However, in our minds and in our imaginations, I think all of us can imagine a perfect father. Bruce Johnson, a writer, speaker, uh, founder of the J.H. Ranch, he described a dad like this. He said the typical definition of fathers includes something along the lines of they are protectors and providers. He said that's the normal definition, and that's true. But the Bible would add to that fathers are teachers and guides. So if you put all of those combinations together, a protector, a provider, a trainer, a guide, that's a lot. No dad on this earth does that perfectly, that's for sure. But notice our passage today, and it is an interesting one. As we look at these titles of Jesus in Isaiah, these words that were prophesied some 800 years before Jesus showed up in Bethlehem, we now see this king who would come, who would be an everlasting father. We have seen him to be a wonderful counselor, that is, he knows everything, We've seen him to be a mighty God. That is, he's able to do everything today. He's everlasting father. Now, I suspect this may raise a question or two from a theological perspective. Is Jesus God the father? I thought God the father was God the father. But here Jesus is described as everlasting father. How can such things be? The Apostles' Creed, which we state so regularly here, clearly states 
We believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in his Son, Jesus Christ. So which is it? How is Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, seen as our everlasting Father? Now, to be sure this morning that we are not heretics, the title of Jesus here as everlasting Father is not a denial of him as the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. Rather, this is a description of how he cares for us, a way to enable our imagination to understand the extent of his love and his role as our Savior, in that he does everything right. Jesus, as our everlasting Father, reveals his character with this title, not his position within the Trinity, rather how he feels and looks and acts towards us. It's his relationship to us for us to understand the greatness of his saving love. R.C. Sproul said about this passage, what a father does, an everlasting father, is to put the needs of the children first. As we'll see, that's exactly what our Savior has done. So how do you imagine a perfect father today? How do you imagine that? The Israelites needed to know that their Savior was someone who was going to be strong, someone who would be mighty, someone who was skilled, someone who was wise, and also someone who was loving. And that would give them hope as they waited for their king to come. Church, we need the same thing this morning. We need to think rightly about our Savior. We need to know that he is strong, that he is wise, that he is skillful, that he knows exactly what he is doing. I want us to see this in two ways this morning. During this Advent season, as we ponder the Messiah who came, as we ponder the Messiah who is returning, I want you to think of Jesus in his fatherly love for us in two ways. First, Jesus' care, and then secondly, Jesus' commitment. And may our imagination of his love grow even more. Jesus' care and Jesus' commitment. First, consider the care of Jesus. And our understanding as Jesus as the everlasting father in terms of how he looks at us, how he treats us, how truly he cares for us. I can think of no metaphor greater for us to comprehend this love than that of a shepherd. That is often the biblical way in which we understand God's care for us. This comparison of a sheep shepherd is used throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament alike to help us wrap our minds around God's care for us. And I think it is the perfect way for us to consider the fatherly nature of Jesus. The shepherd in biblical days was the protector and provider of all those under his care. This was his purpose. The shepherd existed so that the sheep could do all that God had called them to do. The shepherd existed so that the sheep could be successful. So that the sheep could fulfill their callings. So that the sheep could exist in such a way that they would thrive. A good shepherd of biblical days knew exactly what he was doing. He had to be skilled. He had to be wise. He had to be comfortable in his role. Now, knowing that Jesus referred to himself as a shepherd, I think for this Advent season, we need to ponder the mystery of God's care for us in Christ. It is good to see some very specific things a shepherd would do. 
Now look back at Isaiah chapter 40. You see in verse 10 that this shepherd is powerful, he's strong, he's mighty. That is, he has all of the skill he needs to do his task. But now notice specifically what this shepherd would do. I want us to see three quick things here underneath Jesus' care. Jesus feeds the sheep. Jesus moves the sheep. And Jesus leads the sheep. First, notice that Jesus feeds us. In the ESV, which I read in, in your pew Bible, the term here is tend the flock. That the shepherd would tend the flock. To tend is to ensure that the sheep have all of the nourishment that they need for their survival and for their thriving. The sheep will never go without their nourishment as long as the shepherd is there. Now you need to know this about sheep. Of all the animals on the earth, sheep are those who simply cannot provide for themselves. They'll starve if the shepherd doesn't feed them. They do not have the ability to exist without a shepherd. They can't do it. If someone will not bring them food, they will not exist. Isn't it fascinating? All the miracles that Jesus performed regarding eating and drinking, from changing water to wine, from feeding 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish, from serving fish to his disciples after the resurrection. Jesus always cares about our physical needs. But more than just our physical needs, he cares for the needs of our soul. When Jesus was tempted by Satan and was offered food during his 40-day fast, do you remember his response? Jesus said to his tempter, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. How does God provide for you and me today? What is our nourishment? What do we have for our soul? What do we have that if we don't get it, we will die? Don't miss this. It's so simple. It's right in front of us. He gives us his word. He gives us the words of the mouth of God, the Bible. In a few moments, we'll come around his table and we'll receive spiritual nourishment. But the Lord's Supper is always in conjunction with the word. So the question must be asked this morning, are you consuming the spiritual food that God has for you? It's available to us all. Jesus' care for you today includes the Bible. Every year I I do a read-through-the-Bible-in-a-year devotion. Uh, Some days I do better than other days, but uh, during the month of December it includes the minor prophets, those small books of the Old Testament that we don't read very often. Last week I was reading through the book of Amos. Amos was a contemporary of this Isaiah that we're reading during the days when Israel and Judah continually rebelled against the Lord. In chapter 8 of Amos, there's a fascinating passage that talks about because of the rebellion of God's people, there will come a famine. And a famine is always meant to scare people because there would not be enough food and water to survive. But Amos describes a different famine. He says it will not be a famine of food and water, but it will be a famine of not having God's word. And the famine would be worse than going without food and water. Church, we have the promises of God to us in Christ. We have the Bible. It is nourishment to our souls. You know, if you think about it, 
Sheep don't tell the shepherd where they would like to go, and then the shepherd follows them around. It doesn't work like that. The shepherd takes the people where he knows they should go. God's word changes us. It conforms us. Our task as pastors is to bring the word in the spirit of God and in the name of Christ. So let me declare to you from the word, you need the word. All right, look back at verse 11. Not only does our Jesus shepherd provide this fatherly care from his word, secondly, he moves us. That is, he transports us. He gets us to where we need to be. Moving means sometimes a father must physically pick up his child and get them where he knows they need to be. Amen? All dads would agree. Sometimes it has to happen. All moms would agree. Sometimes it has to happen. Sometimes, hypothetically, a child will run in completely the wrong direction with full confidence he or she knows what they are doing and get completely lost along the way. Sometimes adults do the exact same thing. And sheep are known to be exactly like that. This is the key to the passage. Notice the combination here of the strength and the heart of the shepherd. Notice here the skill and the care. Very clearly here says that he will gather these lambs, that is the young sheep, the young, the confused, the scared, the lost, the frustrated. He'll gather them in his arms. That is, his arm is strong enough to snatch them right up. With one arm, Jesus can grab and pull you out of any danger. But then notice, what does the shepherd do with these lambs upon grasping him or her? Again, this is the beauty of the passage. The lamb is moved from the arm straight to the bosom. That is the heart. The picture here is Jesus grabs those in trouble and he moves them to the heart and carries them. It is strength and its care at the same time. Do you see the heart of our Savior? Do you see this perfect combination? Yes, he is strong and yes, he cares. Whenever a member of the flock is hurting or is just young or is weak or in need, the lamb is not thrown over the shoulders and carried. The lamb is carried close to the heart of the Savior. I love that. Our Savior is strong, but he is not mean. You remember Jesus' interaction with the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8? The Pharisees, the religious people, what did they want to do? They want to kill her. What did Jesus do in his care and in his strength? He chased off all of her accusers. He gave her dignity. He gave her his loving word and told her to repent and sin no more. He knew exactly what he was doing at the right time and in the right way. A shepherd loves, a shepherd's care. Again, I love the picture these promises create in our imagination of Jesus. Whenever a sheep would have been in trouble or in need or just hurting, what did the shepherd do? The shepherd went to find the sheep. It had to be moved in order to return to the whole flock. You see, Jesus had to find us. He's strong. He can do it. Truly in his fatherly care, 
Jesus came to this little town in Nazareth to find his people to begin this work. Which proves Jesus can come to you today, right here, right now, and care for you. Are you in trouble? Are you weak? Are you stuck in addiction? Are you running away from him? Are you scared? Are you haunted by your past? Are you confused over your career or circumstances? See this morning, Jesus has the power in his arm to snatch you up and he will carry you close to his heart to where you need to be. So I ask you this morning, are you willing to open your heart to be brought near to his? Jesus will bring you where you need to be. Jesus feeds us. Jesus carries us. But then notice in this last phrase here in verse 11 of Isaiah 40, Jesus leads us. He leads us appropriately. The shepherd will, quote, gently lead those that are with young. Other translations state those nursing the young lambs. What does this mean? I think it reveals yet again Jesus' care for those who are weak. Jesus' care for those who are young. Jesus' care specifically for children. Jesus cares passionately for the kids of this church who grow up in church and for those who are brought into the church. When Jesus said, let the little children come to me, I think he really meant it. I think he really meant that he cares deeply for the little ones who are in need. Why does he care so much for them? It's because the young are the weakest. They're the most impressionable. They are the ones who could easily be misled. All those who are young, whether of age or of faith, Jesus cares deeply for you. John Calvin says this about this idea of our shepherd and his particular care for us. He says that God will be mild, kind, and gentle and compassionate so that he will not drive the weak harder than they can bear. Do you believe that this morning? With whatever pain you have faced this past year, whatever pain you've experienced this past week, do you see that Jesus has the skill to lead you gently, kindly, and with strength to get you where he knows you need to be? He knows exactly the timing of his care. Jesus, in his fatherly care as our shepherd, is the chief shepherd. He will protect us. He will defend us. And ultimately, yes, he will even separate us from his enemies. He will lead you against them all. He's doing it even today. This is who our Savior is and what he does. Jesus, our eternal Father, is skillful in his care. And we've seen his care. Consider also his commitment. This role of caring as an ideal father figure in our life is only half the wonder this morning. The mystery of Christmas, the magic of Christmas, the magic of Advent, it's better than just that he cares. You see, our joy is going to be realized when we see the passion of Jesus for how long Jesus intends to care for us. How long will his perfect care for us exist? 
Do you see it? It's right there in the title of our Messiah. Jesus is not just our perfect caregiver. He is committed to us for all of eternity. He is our, yes, eternal father. Whenever this Hebrew term eternal is used in scripture, it refers to our understanding of time in the past, in the present, and in the future. It's part of what separates mankind from the triune God in that we cannot fully embrace who this God of ours is because we live in the present. We live in a particular space and time. God does not. We often use for our confession of faith one of the questions from the shorter catechism which asks, what is God? And the answer is that God is infinite and eternal and unchangeable in his nature. That is the very nature of the strength of our God transcends time, meaning that his character, thus his calling and commitment to us, it doesn't change. You see, his care for you yesterday will be the same for you tomorrow. Now, you know this. The fact that he cares for us and is committed to us, that does not remove the consequences of our lives that exist inside of a fallen world. It doesn't. But what it does mean is that your Savior is with you. He's with you every day. So how does Jesus' external nature affect us today, this eternal nature of his? It's that our joy is found and that Jesus is caring for everyone right now. So you know what's available for you this morning? It's a word that we don't use very often, but it's a word that we need to embrace. It's confidence. It really is. You see, joy and confidence go together. If Jesus is a great shepherd, and he is with us at all times, then we really can rest secure in all of our life. We really can. Yes, we are compared to the sheep. That means we are the dumb ones. That means we are the dependent ones. We're easily lost. We easily make a mess of our lives. But our shepherd's not. He's wise. He's skillful. He's powerful. And he's constantly at work. Jesus has not taken a day off of being our king. Thus the sheep, us, we really don't have to be anxious. We really don't. We don't have to be scared. We don't have to be fretful. We don't have to be. We can be confident over the length of our days, and we can be confident today because our Savior is our eternal Father. As we prepare to come to the table, I'll remind you of this, that there was never a time in the history of our world where fatherly love was demonstrated more than when this Messiah came to this earth and allowed himself to be nailed to a cross. At that moment, he protected his people. At that moment, he guided us into his love. At that moment, he gave to us what we could not provide for ourselves. In that moment, he sacrificed everything so that we would be part of his family. Jesus skillfully went to the cross to do that which only he could do. What only he could do was to become sin so that we could be part of his family. That's his care, and that's his commitment. We aren't losing our Savior. I love the lyrics of the beautiful hymn that we often sing here, Jesus Strong and Kind. It's a picture of fatherly love. We sing these words. Jesus said, 
If I'm lost, he will come to me. And he showed me on that cross, he will come to me. And he did. He loves us. He's our eternal father. Imagine the greatest love you possibly can, and it is found in our Savior. Amen? Amen. Let me pray, and I'll transition us to the Lord's Prayer. So, Father, your love for us is beyond what we can imagine. So, by faith, we accept what is true, and that is you came. You became one of us, and in your life as our Savior, you gave your life for us. Oh God, we need to be nourished by you. We need your word, we need your spirit, and yes, we need this table. So we ask you to prepare our hearts for the nourishment that you have for us. And now we prayed, now we pray, oh God, as you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.